Gospels to John chapter 12. We'll be in John this week, and next week we'll start the four Sundays of Advent, so that'll be exciting. This will be the time to invite friends, because it's the Christmas season, and because Troy, Steve, and Dave will be preaching as well. So, John chapter 12, if you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it'll be on page 898. As a part of our story in the gospel today, we need to talk about what God's word says about the poor. So I'm going to read you, in pretty quick succession here, a selection of verses from throughout God's word. Now I got this selection of verses by merely typing the word poor into a Bible website called BibleGateway.com. And so this is not even uh, scratching the surface. And that's part of the first lesson, is that there are so many instances in the Bible referencing how God's people should understand the poor and how to minister to them and interact with them. So that's the first lesson, really, just the sheer volume of God's word on this topic. But let me read to you, again, just by way of example. So the first one is from Exodus twenty-two twenty-five. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. Exodus 23, 6, do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Leviticus 19, 10, and you, know, you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 25, 35, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. In addition to these verses, the book of Ruth presents Boaz as a godly, a very godly man. And how does he demonstrate his godliness but in his generosity to Ruth, who is poor, and allowing her to gather more than what was required by the law? We'll jump to the Psalms. Psalm 14, 6. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Psalm 72, 4, may he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Proverbs 14, 21, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Ezekiel 22:29 The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. 
They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. Zechariah 7, 9-11, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. Luke 18, 22, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Galatians 2.10 Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And the last one from James, the only one on the list that does not mention the word poor, but the idea is still there. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I read that list, again, a fraction of what is throughout your Bible, to make it obvious that how we treat the poor is important to God. That it's very important to God that we give to those in need, that we are generous with those who are in need, and to understand that that is a part of following him and being one of his people. So with that in mind... Let's read our story. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. So we're back with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Now John gives us a timeline in the very first verse of chapter 12. This story happens the Saturday before Good Friday. Okay, so we're coming up and next in uh, chapter 13, uh, sorry, the next story in chapter 12 is Palm Sunday. So you can see where we're going in the larger narrative of John. But they have a dinner for Jesus. John tells us Lazarus was reclining with him at the table. Again, the cultural way one would sit at a table. And in true fashion, Martha is faithfully serving. But in verse 3, John turns our focus to Mary. Let's look at verse 3. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Mary, in the midst of this party, you can imagine all the people there, She takes a bottle of perfume. The pound there is approximate, think about 11 ounces, so a soda can's worth of expensive perfume. That's the pure nard there. Okay, this is the good stuff. And she pours it out. Now, I just want you to think, and I want you to use your imagination. If you took a bottle 
of perfume the size of a Coke can and dumped it out on the ground. You can imagine the smell went everywhere. This is not something that the other people at the party could ignore. You can picture the people around the table like sort of starting to sniff and realizing what's going on. It also says that Mary anoints Jesus' feet. Okay? And that she used her hair to wipe the perfume off. There's a lot of symbolism here. And what I want us to see in this story that might feel strange of why this is in is what I find helpful is to understand it this way. That in this story, God is giving us an external physical demonstration of an inward reality. That this perfume worship, there's nothing magic about using perfume or about using her hair, but what it's doing is it's showing us what is in Mary's heart. A couple things to note. Again, understanding this in its cultural context. The people who would get anointed, who would have oil or a perfume poured on them, were normally kings. And so we can see this symbolism in there of understanding the authority and the kingship of Jesus. This is especially, we must especially notice this as the next story is the triumphal entry. Again, another story highlighting the kingship and godship of Jesus. But pouring the oil on Jesus' feet and using her hair to wipe it off is a demonstration of true humility. There is a humbleness in Mary's worship of Jesus. First of all, cleaning of the feet, as we'll see in John chapter 13, when Jesus cleans the disciples' feet, this was a job done by servants. And there's a lesson for us there later on. But Mary here comes to Jesus in true humility. And the fact that she let her hair down was, again, something in that culture you didn't really do in polite culture. So again, there's a humbling here. Jesus, or Mary comes to Jesus as king and humbly to her. To him. The other thing I want you to see here is that this was not cheap. Again, you think about how much today perfume can cost. Now we're going to talk about it in a few verses here because it's going to become even more important. But what we're going to find out in a few verses is this was extremely expensive. Mary shows her love for Jesus in that her demonstration of worship comes to her at great cost. Pastor John Piper writes 
about this. In response to the worth of Jesus, Mary's heart was full of wonder and thankfulness and joy, overflowing in lavish demonstrations of affection. Mary loved Jesus. Mary's heart corresponded to the treasure that Jesus is. This physical demonstration is a demonstration, external demonstration of what Mary believes and feels in her heart. It is a wonderful picture of worship in that we come to Jesus as God and King. We come in humility and often our worship of him comes or can come at great price. This helps us understand that worship includes singing and gathering as we do on a Sunday, but is more than that. It involves our whole life, and it is coming in song, in prayer, and in obedience as a declaration that Jesus is our greatest good and our greatest delight. And we see that in Mary's perfume worship. But, as you would expect, in dumping out a Coke can's worth of perfume, her activity gets acknowledged, and Judas the disciple starts to speak up. So let's look at verses 4 to 6. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples... He who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas speaks, but before he speaks, John lets us know who he is. So we know not to trust what he is about to say. That's why John includes that Judas is going to be the one who will betray Jesus before the crucifixion. Okay, so John, as the narrator, he's a very good narrator. He knows, guys, what Judas is about to say might sound good, but don't trust it because you can't trust the source. So let's look at what Judas says. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Judas objects to this worship of Jesus because Mary wasted, in his mind, Mary wasted this perfume when it could have helped a lot of poor people. Now we see that's true. Judas, again, he seems to know his stuff about money, claims it could be sold for 300 denarii, Now, we need to remember a denarius, one denarii, is one day's wages. So Judas claims, and probably correctly, that this perfume is worth one year's wages. Because you figure about 300 workdays out of a full year. Now, you think about that. Think about how much you make in a year. Think about one bottle of perfume is worth 
all that you'd make in an entire year. And Judas says, think of all the help for the poor we could do. Now again, think about what the Bible says about the poor. In one sense, Judas, we we can understand where Judas is coming from. Because God does command that we help the poor. So how do we hold these two things in tension? How do we not understand that Mary didn't waste what could have been sold to help a lot of people? John is helpful to us in verse 6. He said this piety of Judas is pretty fake. That it's a smokescreen to his real heart. Look what verse 6 says. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Judas objects to Mary's display of love, not out of love for the poor, but out of a love for money. In fact, since he carried the box that held money for Jesus and the other disciples to live off of, he would steal from it and embezzle funds. And just as Mary's worship shows her true heart, we see Judas's actions show his true heart. And we remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, what it comes down to is what do you love? What is your greatest love? And if you don't love Jesus as your first love, you won't love those whom he has called you to serve. Judas did not love the poor, primarily because he didn't love Jesus, because money was his God. Money was his first love. And what we're going to see as we continue on, it's when Jesus is our first love. When he is our most important love and our greatest good, that we will in fact obey him and serve those in need. It's at this time where Jesus responds to what Jesus says. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus rebukes Judas and anyone else who might have been thinking but didn't say the same thing. Jesus gives two main reasons for his rebuke. Number one, Jesus is worthy of worship leading us to his crucifixion. There is something special about the time in which this is happening. Again, as I mentioned, this is happening the Saturday before Good Friday. 
And again, as a part of the larger narrative of John, all of these stories have been pointing us to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And Jesus says one of the different things about this time that makes it exceptional is that this is done to point people to the fact that I'm going to die and rise again. Look at what Jesus says. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Jesus knows what is going to happen. Jesus is going to make his one-time sacrifice for sins so that sinners can be reconciled to the God who made them. And that this worship is worthy of the one, of the Savior who dies for his people. And as a sign to prepare his followers that death and resurrection is coming. Jesus will soon be leaving. And in verse 8, he reminds them, you do not always have me a reference to his death, resurrection, and ascension. In rebuking Judas, Jesus commends Mary's perfume worship as a response to the joy she feels through his earthly presence, which will soon be done. Again, I'm helped by what Pastor John Piper writes, Mary feels the preciousness of Jesus' presence and what it has meant for her and Martha and Lazarus. So leave her alone, Judas. Her heart is right. She feels my worth. And it's in the specialness of this moment leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus that Jesus, perhaps with a little tongue-in-cheek, reminds Judas that he has a lifetime and that Jesus' followers have a lifetime to serve the poor. Look at verse 8. For the poor you always have with you. It's as if Jesus is saying, don't worry guys, you will have plenty of opportunity to help the poor. Don't worry, you won't miss out. There's almost a humor in there in in letting them know Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows Judas doesn't really care about the poor. There's sort of humor in here. Guys, don't worry, you'll get plenty of time to help the poor. But what I think Jesus is pointing out for us is that if someone truly loves Jesus, they won't love money like Judas but they will sincerely love and serve the poor. Now, this passage is not always easy to understand. This idea of loving Jesus above all, but at the same time knowing that there is this consistent call to serve the poor throughout the Bible. What's helped me understand this is another passage from Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. Once I begin reading, I think this will sound familiar to many of you. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. 
And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, some people come to this passage and they critique it or they get angry at it because Jesus says first and second, and he sets priorities here. But that's misunderstanding the passage because if we truly live out the first one, we will do the second one. And in fact, later on in John, he says this. This is from John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So a way to demonstrate that we're actually doing the first is to do the second. And they cannot be separated. But what I know from Judas is this. If I don't love Jesus with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, then I will not obey. And I will not love and serve those in need. And if I'm not loving and serving those in need, do I truly love God with all my heart? Obedience is one of the expressions we have for the love of God. And as I read verse after verse after verse at the beginning, I want you to see that obedience to God means loving and serving those in need. Two points of application this morning. Number one, Jesus needs to be first place in our life. Love for Jesus is the way that we prioritize everything in our lives. And that doesn't happen unless he is the first priority. There are many important things you need to do. One, one of the hardest disciplines you have in your life is making priorities of what needs to get done first. Because you only have so much time. But what God's word is telling us is that Jesus, love for Jesus, faith in Jesus, is the first thing. And everything else falls into place after it. That doesn't mean those things aren't important. But it means Jesus is the most important. We, like Mary, who came in great humility and at great cost, must come to Jesus in faith and obedience. Only when we have Jesus as our first love can our lives be lived in a way that brings him glory and love. And one of the ways we demonstrate that, specific to this passage, is, is application number two. We must be committed to serving the poor. This is not an option for believers. All of us need to find our way to be a part of God's work in serving and loving those less fortunate than us. 
We must allow passages like this to inform our politics about how the communities and nation we live in understand and treat those in need. And there's correctives on both sides of the aisle for that. But we must willing to humbly serve ourselves. And this week I want you to think, how can I, how can my family, how can we serve the poor? I want to give you a couple examples I thought up of. There are many more. If I forget one of your favorites, I'm already sorry. But this is just to prime your pump. Because you need to understand as an individual and as a family, how am I going to obey God's commands in this specific aspect? Number one, our church's benevolent fund. This is a great way that our church and you as individuals have helped many people in need. And many of you have given for a long time and been generous with that. I think of community groups like Ryan's House and Garage of Blessing. I think of all the local food banks. I think of our local but also our regional problem with homelessness. It's interesting, one of these, I, I was talking to uh, the interim pastor down at the Free Church in Ballard, and they're having one of these homeless encampments set up within eyesight of their church. And boy, is that going to bring challenges. But it's also going to bring opportunity. And we need to look out into our community and see what's going on and see how we might respond both as a church and as individuals. I think of groups like the Everett Gospel Mission and the Union Gospel Mission. I think of international ministries like Compassion International and Global Fingerprints, the child sponsorship of the Free Church. I think of ministries that we support both with volunteer and with our funds like the Pregnancy Care Clinic. These are all ways to serve those around us, those in need. And I haven't even scratched the surface of your neighbors or people you work with or people you know in the community. But what is very clear, if we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, if we worship him as Mary did, both in humility and at great cost, we will love Jesus. We will demonstrate that love in care and service to the poor. Serving others is actually evidence of if we love Jesus with our whole hearts. Friends, our big idea this morning is this, that when Jesus has first place in our hearts, we will care for those in need. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, that we would love no one else, no thing else more than you. That you would have first place in our life. That when we come to you in worship with every aspect 
of who we are. That we would come in humility and that we would not be kept away from the often cost of worshiping and following you. And God, that as your people who love you above all else, that we would serve those around us who are in need. That each of us, that each family here would find a way that they could serve those in need that you have placed in their lives and that being obedient, we would demonstrate our love to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.